What's up everybody and welcome to B2B Made Simple. If you're passionate about marketing, you're in the right place. Whether you're doing marketing for a brand new startup or a $100 million enterprise, you'll learn strategies that'll help you build a solid team, impact your pipeline, and look like an absolute rock star to upper management. Why? Because these guys are the pros. They're not pretending to know the industry, they're in the trenches on a daily basis. My name is Sam Moss. I'm the co-founder of One Click Agency. We build websites for B2B companies, and I'm also the co-host of this podcast. If your goal is to become the marketer everyone else looks up to, keep listening. Hey, my name is Tim Kroll, and I'm the co-host focused on the topic of leadership here on the B2B Made Simple podcast. We have an exciting conversation coming, so let's not waste any time and jump right in. Hey, welcome back again. Uh, man, we are having another awesome guest. Vinny Fisher is with us. He is somebody that I truly have looked up to as a mentor. I know he wears the title of a husband and a father. He is the CEO of Fully Accountable. I've learned a lot just in understanding the finances aspect. Vinny has shared so much information along that line. But I'm going to tell you right now, I am truly grateful that he is willing to spend some time with us. So, Vinny, welcome. Welcome. I, I'm excited to jump into this. Well, Tim, first off, thanks, buddy. I mean, it's always cool when I'm on a show where there's a friend, somebody who I have a deeper relationship in this industry with who uh, is uh, feels on feels in a situation where uh, he allows me access to his community. So I feel privileged with that. So thanks for having me, bud. Yeah, no problem. So to top the topic today, I mean, usually we jump in and we share the topic first, but I think I love working with you so much. But the topic here, which intrigues me because I allow, I love the way it springboards into so much, but it's building beyond your shadow. Mm. That topic alone, just when I start to think about that, that brings to mind words like legacy and it brings to mind words of what is going to happen? What is that dash between the time that I was born and the time that I die? What does that dash mean? And I, this this truly is what I feel like is the core of leadership and how we build foundations, how we're able to lead, whether it's our family, our businesses, those that we come in contact in our community, those that we volunteer to be able to, all of these things come together to be able to say, yes, I am building beyond my shadow or no, I'm not, but here's the steps that I can get to that. Um, so that's the topic. But before we go into that, I also want to hear a little bit about your journey. Uh, maybe give us five minutes or so. Give us the highlights of where you've been and how the experiences that you've kind of come through, because I know the School of Hard Knocks gives us the ability <laughs> to have a stage. And it's those experiences that we lead out of. You know, I am. Um... I first and foremost, this topic of building beyond your shadow is at the core of so many things that I do. And, and, and when I look back at the journey that I've had as a, as a professional career, you know, I'm a lawyer by training. I have a specialty in corporate M&A and taxation. And so I, I've done and had the privilege to be involved in a lot of business deals. I've also been trained up with the way my mind thinks on, you know, I love marketing, sales, sales copy. When you combine those two, it makes for a very unique fellow, right? You don't normally hear a lawyer who likes to write, but write creatively. And so that led me in a direction uh, of, of wanting to be involved in enterprise different than as a lawyer with compliance. And so during the journey, I discovered a thing about myself that I have a very high emotional equivalent. Like I'm quite good at people. 
That's probably, I even do that better than I might do marketing or sales. Now, do not get me wrong. I can effectively sell ice cream to Eskimos. I don't want to act <laughs> like that's not true. But I've learned, learned along the way that this idea of building beyond your shadow speaks to everything. So organizationally, early on in my career, I'd have to write an offer to get it to convert. And so that was a very one-to-one relationship with the consumer. But you know that less than 7% of all companies in America do a million dollars of annualized revenue. And one of the things I learned along the way is when you get to a a run rate of a million dollars in revenue, things change. This idea of making an offer convert suddenly means that now you have an offer converting and you got to switch to people process and profit. And I know there's people out in the marketplace who talk about those things, but it's a massive shift that needs to make. And during that journey is where I've learned this idea that my shadow with my strong personality can cast a large input on our organization. And I've throughout my career have learned that I have to build above it and bring like-minded people in culture, but different-minded people in skill sets to be able to accomplish that effectively. And that's really the journey of me. Like I've had the privilege to build a few eight-figure companies, sold one, broke one uh, in the middle of one. Uh, I also am an investor. I own some and I, uh, you know, Deb and I have a family back office and I eat my own dog food and diversification of our portfolio. And so, you know, I've had a success track in my life. And so I'm also interesting working on a now a significance track where I'm actually um, in the king phase where I'm more of a sage developing other leaders. And I, I, I'm probably living some of my best time in business right now because I'm developing legacy and leadership. So you mentioned two words in there and I have to bring it out. And uh, I think it's smart, but um, you said you're in the King developing into the sage aspect of that. It sounded exactly like John Elridge books, fathered by God. And I don't know if you pulled that from that section or not, but it, it sounded like those words were exactly what they were. I don't know if that is true or not, but that sounded where you were headed. John Eldridge is uh, someone I've been personally with and he's awesome. Like I've been to retreats up in the mountain. I am so thankful the way the Lord's used him. He actually helped lead me to a position of repentance with my dad and after his death. And so Hmm. I'm a, I'm a gigantic fan of him as an author. And so if you haven't read John's stuff, I, I want to put a big shout out to every one of his, by the way, faith is important to me and my relationship with Christ is important. If you want to get a good glimpse of who I call Lord, go read a book called beautiful outlaw. And you're going to get to meet a personality in, in Jesus that has helped me massively in business. And so this is, that might sound like evangelism, but I want you to know the heartbeat of me more than anything else. Yeah, no, it's so true. And let's, because I love this transition. And when I read the book about the transition going from a king into a sage, yeah. uh, the sage aspect is where they're really, truly leading from the experiences. And man, there were so many valuable lessons in that, that I was able to look at my own life. And I don't feel like I'm at that sage point yet. Yeah. Uh, but that truly is what it means to build beyond your shadow. And so for those that are, let's say, leading as a king right now, maybe we should define that. That way there's a little bit more clarity in that. So that way we're not losing our audience to, to like, what the heck are they talking about? A king and a sage. And maybe yeah. we need to divide dive into that just so we can have some clarity there. You know, I, I would say this. I, I, I would give two encouragements. One is there are seasons in business, right? And for me, a season is a five-year run. And I've also learned there's like half times. 
there's like a two and a half, three year period of the first half of the season and a second half of the season, obviously the other two and a half, three years. And again, I believe that two and a half plus two and a half equals six. So of course, you know how good I am at math. I had to build an entire company to fix my math problem. But it, it, I think what I'm trying to get at there is depending on where you are in your season of business, your season of leadership should directly correlate to some of that. I think what's happening out in the marketplace right now under these categories of things like 10X expansive uh, growth, people are skipping over some of the necessarily elements of improvement that goes along with wisdom. And so as I teach from a perspective or share from a perspective as in that sage mode, I'm very respectful of the fact that there are probably more warriors and kings than there are sages out there. And what a warrior is someone who's really died or tied in deep to the business in their marriage, young children. They're out there like killing the carcass every day and dragging it home for everyone to meet something at their needs or their basic needs or just a little bit above it. A king tends to be somebody who's actually started to build out a little bit of team. They have other people they're leading. They're responsible for producing results with an organization. Rarely, you're you're not a king for yourself, right? You've got either a marriage and some children and some business operation, but you're you're probably not solo gunning it. You're still in the warrior mode if you're solo gunning it. Nothing wrong with that. It's just where you're at. And so many times people are trying to be something they're not. And I would encourage you to grow up in the stage you're at. Well, I just happen to be somebody who's probably, you know, not just age. I know I look amazing if you're watching me on video, but if you're just listening to me, trust me, it's an amazing look. And so I'm at a stage where I have multiple teams in multiple organizations. And I've got you know, many of people who rely on a W-2 from th these organizations. And so I actually don't run day-to-day -day operations in three companies. The COOs of those companies roll up to me in two cases as a chairman of the board and in other cases the CEO. And so I have responsibilities of leadership all day, married 25 years and four teenage and adult children who, you know, I am really developing the leadership function of people who are truly leading others. And that's where I see a warrior, a king, and what looks like eventually a sage. I love that, the season, but there was a key element. I think this is where we really need to go and direct a conversation, is to learn how to build within the season of where you are. And we've talked about this a lot on the show. We've talked about the growth of your personal leadership as it correlates to the growth of your business. Because if you don't lead and you don't learn how to become a personal leader, your business tends to implode when you hit certain levels. And so I'm really curious to be able to hear about how you've been able to, because you said you collapsed one business. So it sounds like you probably learned a lot of lessons in that. But how do we as leaders, like if we're a warrior where we're the solo guy going out and clubbing things and bringing them back, or maybe we're in the king phase where we've got leadership teams, how do we continue to develop that personal leadership along with that business and allow them to rise together? You know, you're, you're only going to go as far as you, your company really has two things uh, working at it at all times. As a professional, and I consider leaders, entrepreneurs, owners, depending on which word you resonate best with, I think differently about entrepreneur than I do owner in some categories, but regardless of where you're at, we always have as a professional two downward pressures on us. We have this downward pressure of always being available now. 
and we have a downward pressure of always being right. And both of those pressures in leadership in your business make it so that certain responses aren't always the best ones, but the ones we go with. So, you know, I wrote a couple of books about some of these subjects because I needed to work them through in my own life. And so I want to give everybody a gift, Tim, that at fullyaccountable.com forward slash B, the number two, the letter B made simple. You can get everything I'm talking about yours free. Our marketing team will send you a nice fancy package. It's all yours. All you have to do is take advantage of it. I'm telling you that because one of the books I wrote was called The CEO's Mindset. And in that book, it's so important that the leader continually work on herself or himself. If you're not always progressing in this idea of always be learning and always be doing, then you better be careful about measuring your attitude towards everyone else in the organization. You might be mad at them for not doing something you're not doing. And so when you culturally look inside of our organizations, people only see me pushing hard on myself. So I kind of the same expectation on everybody else. But if I'm going to push hard on everybody else, but I don't push hard on myself, then I'm double-minded. Then I have like this thing and there's a cultural mismatch that I'm expecting more out of people that I'm not even expecting out of myself. So where you are, I, I'm always going to be the hardest and kindest to myself. I, get, I give myself the most benefit of the doubt and I use awful language towards myself. And I would encourage that what I've learned along the way is to pay attention to the awful language I use about myself in these agreements or strongholds of where I've said things poorly about myself. Well, I'll tell you, leadership's hard enough if I don't have to be fighting me in the process. And so I'm continually breaking awful language I use about myself in the continuing growing up. Like if I'm in a warrior phase of my business and I want to be in this mode where I have teams and stuff, and I use language that says I can't do it, I'm already starting down this road of kind of self-sabotaging the growth of my own business and I'm attacking myself. And I'll tell you, the eight-figure company we broke, I did that. I, I was a lever puller and I broke that business in my arrogance. And I literally was so trapped in being the hero, being the internet darling, uh, forgetting just the numbers attached to the break uh, in math. I, I, I lost more money in that transaction than most people are going to make in their business career. And guess what? I do it all over again, because even though PhDs are expensive, it taught me this element about being really self-aware and working on developing, fixing single points of failure. And in that business, I was one of its single points of failure. So how did then, uh, like, let's tie that together. How did breaking that business, or maybe it did or didn't, I'll, I'll let you answer that question, but the pressure of always being available and the pressure of always being right, those two key elements, did they play a role in breaking that eight-figure business? And if so, how? Yeah, so while I kind of bought into my own crap in the sense that, I was Midas and everything I touched turned to gold. So if you reverse that, that I needed to be everybody's hero because I solved problems, then whenever there was an issue in the organization, I would raise my hand to go solve it. So when I stepped away as the CEO of that company and brought in a new CEO, I effectively broke that company because I exposed how many levers I was actually pulling as a disguised hero all across the country, company. And so that was item one. Item two of this downward pressure of always being right, I learned two emotions that are true of a leader, anxiety and boredom. And both of them are real and both of them exist 
It's how you respond to them in the moment and, and what you do with them, not whether they exist. So in a moment of boredom, I thought the right move was to step away from the company as opposed to improve things in it. In a moment of anxiety, I overcorrected how we were going to fix it and nosedived into selling the thing for parts. Months after I had that thing teed up for an eight-figure exit. It's literally, those pressures don't go away. And the emotion of anxiety and boredom are real. It's, I've learned it's how I'm going to respond to them or what I do to get to deal with them, not whether they exist or not. And when I look at my friends in business who try to avoid the hard parts in their company, they're going to come back harder when they do come back. Man, talk about mic drop. <laughs> so we've got two different, three different key topics there. Number one, you've mentioned the disguised hero. Yeah. You wanted to be involved. You wanted to be the some people call it we the fire firemen because you always got to go put out the fire. You always got to go solve the problem. You always got to go. All right. So if we look at that from a business standpoint, yep. if we are attempting to always be the hero to solve the problem, it it's safe to say, since you stepped away and you realized how many levers you were points, safe to say that you never taught your people how to solve problems. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, actually even worse. They knew that I'd come and solve their problem. So instead of helping them learn how to critically think, they'd know I'd give them the answer. So one of the things that organizationally changed for me as a company is I don't, I don't actually directly answer people's questions. I give them questions back. So when you come into my office and you have a, hey, what do you think about this website? My first response is, what do you think? <laughs> because I literally am stimulating managers and executives to critically think. I think one of the mistakes today of a leader, you're so busy, you think it's easier to just give someone an answer it might be in the moment of filling your belly to fill your belly and be very quick, but in a short, medium, and even long run, that is, you're not helping your people learn how to critically think. And so I massively had a wake up call to that, that I was solving everyone's problems. Have you ever left the house and you like wonder if you shut off an appliance like the coffee pot or even shut the garage door? Well, our brains work like that, where we have this very short capacity in parts of our brain, where we just do stuff very mechanically, and we don't store it into memory. Well, when your people and your team know that you're going to give answers to things, they don't go through the process of remembering things or thinking mm. critically through stuff. So it's not their fault that you've trained them to be very Pavlovian in the solving of problems. And so if you come into my office, you got to have a notepad, or a ridiculously good memory, because I'm going to be asking you questions to your questions. That is huge, actually. So can you give us like a real life example? I, I, I know you live, like you said, you live in a fishbowl, but what would be one of those things that uh, maybe within the last week, two weeks, or maybe even the last year, one of your people came to you and said, hey, what do you think about this? And then your response was, I'd love to hear a real life example. Just give you this morning every day I have leadership in my life. And so um, we, we, we are very thankful to be an outsourced fractional CFO service with, you know, we are a leader in the space with lots of clients. And so, you know, we are on the front lines of very mature companies with tough things. Some are selling, some are refinancing, all kinds of wonderful cash opportunities in their business. And this morning, our COO, was dealing with a client as it relates to one of our CFOs and whether that was the right connection personality-wise. Well, that uh, client came back at us and said, hey, you know, 
we would have loved to not been handed off to, to someone as an underling. We would like to deal with the CEO. And that triggered one of my executives to feel diminished. Mm. So came into my office and they said, how do you feel about that? Well, I could normally give you my emotion. I turned it around and said, well, how do you feel about it? And I used that response as a way to help her and our organization to the call we had just actually before I came on this show with that client working through that engagement and in some cases, misunderstanding, other cases of personality alignment. But if I just kind of controlled the narrative of that and decided to let her know how she should feel, we would have missed the whole point of helping her deal with client conflict. A common problem we see in the B2B industry is companies maxing out their marketing teams because they attempt to handle their website in-house. We see this all the time. From redesigns to regular maintenance, we know it's easy for your team to drown in the amount of work it takes to keep a website updated, secure, and current with the times. And let's face it, working on a website isn't that fun. The worst part, hiring a full-time developer to handle that workload can cost over $100,000 a year. Here at OneClick Agency, we build websites for B2B companies for just a fraction of that cost. Whether your website is five pages or 355 pages, our US-based team of designers and developers can handle your website project with ease. If your team is totally capped and needs help with website maintenance or even a full redesign, visit OneClickAgency.com to get a quote today. Visit OneClickAgency.com so your marketing team can get back to doing what they love. OneClickAgency.com. All right, so the, let me go back to the, another question you said, because you said one of the two, two emotions that came out that you recognized, uh, our friend, mutual friend, Tony, he calls them those blind spots. So I'm going to use that as part of this, the anxiety and the boredom. So in a more mo- moment of boredom, you would step away when you shouldn't. In a moment of anxiety. Create, or, I, or Tim, I'd go create something. Yeah. Right. If I'm bored, oh, let's just let me go and arrogantly make another seven-figure company. Right. My response to boredom was to go do something else. So how do we correct that? All right, because you obviously have to recognize number one that it exists. That's the first step. And that's what Tony says about the blind spots. Recognize that they are there. We have to see that if this something is existing. Yep. But how do you correct that now? Because if that's our natural response, obviously, number one, if we don't know that we're doing that, we have to recognize that we're doing that. But then as a leader, then how do you correct it? What do you do to be able to handle that emotion of boredom? And rather than just go create something else or break something or, I mean, self-sabotage, how do we correct that? You know, there's a couple things going on uh, that I don't think are new under the sun, but it's, it's, a, it's something that's going on in, in, in life and in business. And I think that people are looking for their purpose from external stuff. And they're looking for passion to be coming from external things. I think what happens is when you get a business running, I did this at Fully Accountable. I, I got it to a seven-figure category. And, and all of a sudden, I, I did all the things I was supposed to do by building this with good processes and people where I'm not directly involved in the engagement of clients. Hundreds of clients later, I remember feeling like, well, now what am I going to do? Like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to be known as a finance guy. I don't even like finances. I'm a marketer and I'm a lawyer. Like, why am I being known as the CFO guy? I'm not even one of those things. And all of a sudden I started having this, well, you know, maybe I should like do something. Maybe I'm really meant to be doing something else. And so for me, I'm so thankful to be struggling with this idea of identity, purpose, things that are passion 
And so for me at my stage, I'm looking for things that feed my soul. And so what happened was in being bored, I put certain relationships to money, like, can that solve these problems? And I'd say, okay, since I think it can, let's go grow another business. And all of a sudden when I did, I still had that, that deficit in my heart. I started to realize my response to boredom, while it should have been seen as a business benefit, and I won back time or margin, as I call it, and I can go and invest it in things that have a greater purpose, that can stand to testify, things that I have identified along the way that might be passionate to me or where I can bring passion into it. Instead of like going and growing another business, why couldn't I look to go conquer one of those items? And so for me, I learned that distractions are usually good ideas. They're usually really good ideas, ill-timed. And so when I ran back through the meter for me, boredom, as it related to distractions, I was saying yes to too many things. And boredom allowed me to go all over the place as opposed to staying on point and help our people stay on point. I would suddenly just chase things. And when I look at some of the things broken in my life, it was my response to boredom more than anxiety that led to those things broken. Man, you, you're actually touching right on the exact topic that I was journaling about this morning. Mm. We were look, I was looking at identity and where do we get our value and how do we create that and what and the world tells us actions and then identity what your behaviors are creates your identity. And the reality, and this just reinforced exactly what you just said, you have to find your purpose, your identity before your behaviors. And I'm okay, listen, if you're youthful in business, you're kind of guessing a little bit like, yeah. I, come on, I'm gonna be real. I would have never thought that a corporate M attorney who has a specialty in tax would own an accounting and finance firm. I, I didn't see that in my future. I'm so thankful the work we do, but I never saw that. I saw a problem, wanted to solve it. Next thing you know, there's more people with that problem that we're solving it for and this thing. But I love leadership. I love helping people. I love drawing closer in my personal relationship with Christ where I've found that I can be a good voice as a shepherd to others. So I already, I, along the way, I start finding my way. Mm. I, I can accept that I'm guessing but I have to be honest, well, while I'm guessing, what am I looking towards? So when I broke that business, I also had to admit my identity was attached to my business success. Mm -hmm. So I felt like a failure. I felt like a loser. I started using awful language about myself, like I'm a one hit wonder. I can't do it again because I anchored my identity to something that isn't lasting. Oh, that is so good. And that's, I, I think that speaks directly towards a lot of people and what they, what they find in the challenges. And I've seen this happen both in the sports arena, as well as in the business arena, somebody has a success. Now they've trained hard. You know, you don't win a gold medal without training. You have to go through the daily action, the grind, and you have to practice. I consider myself a world-class leader. I, it's hard. I'm not convinced that everyone's signed up to lead others. It's a hard <laughs> gig. I, totally I feel is. like a high performing athlete in my category. You got to show up. It's hard when you take plays off, they have consequences. Absolutely. But the point with that is if you attach your identity to the time that you spend on the podium versus the time that you spend in practice, the day after that success or failure, whichever it is, at that moment, that's when you really truly have that internal conflict. 
Yeah, and that's where you struggle. I, I, I think that's an area where you definitely will struggle. I agree with that. Yeah. So the actions, the daily uh, things that you're doing are more important. That's where you find that identity. And that's where you are able to, to look at it and say, okay, I get up the next day, just won the gold medal. Next day, I'm back at practice. I'm back at doing what I need to do. It's hard. Like, and and like, you gotta, you gotta know what it is you're up and doing. Like, you know, one of the mistakes I see in business, uh, what I would consider just bad decisions is continuing to trap yourself into you know, the actual running organization, because, because if you get your identity out of it, next thing, you know, you need more, you keep feeding your own problem. And it's like the expecting that to change the result of what you're going to get. Next thing, you know, you're mad at your own company because it takes all your time and you're the one that wanted it all around you. Well, I've done that. I know exactly what that looks like. And that's the core underlying enemy of building something beyond your shadow. Right. So it's almost sounds like at this exact moment, we're talking two different things, right? But, but let's, let's see if we can actually flesh this out and figure out on one hand, we're saying we need to have daily routines, daily disciplines, and that's where we find our identity to be able to become better, become stronger. On the other hand, well, if we don't have the right daily activities, which in many people's minds, the daily activities are actually being involved with the business, pulling all of those levers, being the hero. That's what they see as the daily activities. So it's almost like we're talking in two different languages. How do we clarify to know what those right daily activities are? Uh, You know, as you continue to move up with burden and responsibility, you know, with much is given, there's a lot expected, right? There's much expected of you. And and you've got to continually start to step out of the light. I I, I used to have a real problem in my speaking engagements. And I've had a wonderful speaking career in front of a lot of people. I used to be really annoyed when people would come up after a speech and say, oh, Vinny, like, you changed my life, man. That thing was amazing. Have my baby, sign my back. And all this like stuff is very, like, very edifying language. Well, I used to be like, well, geez, how can I change your life in one speech? Like, good night, take some accountability. Well, I remember one day, giving what I thought was one of the best speeches I ever gave big crowd. I think it was like, I'm not kidding you. I think it was like 5,000 people. And it was like crickets afterward. I didn't get anybody coming up to me with like the edification stuff. And I thought, well, man, that speech must have not been that good. And holy cow, why, why all of a sudden this like self, like everyone come back and congratulate me. It exposed that hero problem that mm. I was having. And so to be honest with you, I don't really believe that our daily routine produces our identity. I think our daily routine exposes what is Mm -hmm. our identity. And so if you're all over the place, then you may not have a clear identity. If you're very structured in the way you do something, then you may be very, um, very locked down in what might be the vision of your identity correctly or even incorrectly. So I think it exposes what it is. And so to me, what I've had the privilege of learning out in leadership is how quickly I attach my identity to the success of what it is I'm doing. And one of the things I got to be careful about, this is my story, is about if something doesn't go well or does go well, does that impact who I truly am? And that was the part of my journey. And so, you know, one of those other books that we wrote, False Prophets, <laughs> it was about this idea that it's not the top line that pays you. I believe in the God of gross revenue. And so I only want to see a report that shows more sales, more sales, more sales. But one day I woke up and it's like, it's about what we keep in our pocket, not about what we gross. 
And I know that sounds basic to everybody listening, but it was a massive hit to my eight figure identity. And it was so huge for me to go through that because I started to realize that I only saw myself valuable in business if I was doing eight figures in revenue. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. Well, I mean, we've been talking for almost 30 minutes now. <laughs> so I love, and I could probably talk to you all day about all this stuff. And I really appreciate you spending time here. But if we're going to wrap this up, and we talked about a lot of different pieces, whether it's the language to yourself, about the, dis- the disguised hero, or the emotions of boredom, or how that impacted, or the emotions of anxiety, asking questions, helping people become critical thinkers, right? All of this stuff, which was really, really awesome. If you, if somebody is listening, what would be the one thing say, this is the most important component. If you don't listen to anything else, if you don't implement, take action on anything else, I want you to do this one thing. What would that be? I think you need to take a personal inventory of what you have and what you want. And what I mean by that is that if you are a solopreneur or it, and you want something bigger, then pay take a personal inventory of what you're doing to grow something. Everything takes people. If you buy into this automated, it runs by itself thing, you have bought into a false story in business. Everything takes people to grow beyond your shadow. Now, I get it. I live in the digital world where you could have a seven-figure business with a project manager and a programmer and a good offer. Got it. It still takes those other pieces. And so you have to decide what it is you have. I have wonderful people in my life who just want to be a solopreneur, either consultant or problem solver, and they love their life. They don't want the other thing. Well, they took a personal inventory and realized that. Don't, when you take that personal inventory, realize what you are. If you're doing one thing and you want another and you're not doing anything to pro- progress towards it, then I encourage you and invite you to start doing the hard work of changing that. So good. So good. Um, all right. So we did, you listed it out, uh, fullyaccountable.com backslash B2B made simple is where you can get all kinds of things. Uh, yep. I know that you're going to offer out some stuff. So I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. Like what are some things that you know have been really powerful that you're going to offer to everybody? I know it's going to be on that section, but I, that's probably going to be, I'm guessing the main way for people to get in contact with you to yeah, they can certainly you. go through there. What you're going to get there is I believe that when you hire a service company, it's because you're hiring experts and you go faster. Time, money, and resources. Win back your time at a fraction of the cost with way more resources than you can bring to the table yourself. That's how you should hire a service component, especially an outsourced one. So what am I doing in return to that? I'm giving you everything you need to do it yourself. And then you'll decide, if I want to go faster with experts, you raise your hand. But the reality is it starts with, takes accountability with you. If you want to build a mature organization, you have to start maturing components of your organization. And so I'm giving you all the resources to do that. That's so awesome. That's probably the biggest offer anybody has ever made on the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, All right. The one question that I always love to ask, uh, I've started doing this on several of them (laughs) and I always get different answers. So I'm I'm curious to hear what your answer is going to be. What is one book that you would recommend for people to read? You know, since I I think of things as seasons and topics, since we were discussing this idea of beyond your shadow, I'm giving you books to read. I would very much encourage those. But we know what jumped to mind as I was thinking about boredom and anxiety was this one chapter in Phil uh, Phil Knight's uh, book, Chew Dog, where he talked about his relationship to his business, that he was always running it, hoping that everything was going to be fixed and there was going to be no problems. 
And one day he woke up and realized the benefit of a growing company is to have the privilege to solve the new problem. And when that switched, his growing and acumen and identity of being a dynamic leader in his company also switched. So I, I love with what topic we just talked about, reading that. I'll always suggest the Bible because it's the best business book in the world. You want to read a good book. But when we talk about practical application as a leader, who also, by the way, is a Christ follower, Phil lays out the hard part of business and having a right mindset to what you're running and a growing scaling organization should have new problems to solve. No different than the one I solved this morning in a growing company. That's great. Yeah, I, I, I found that. And so just full transparency, I started reading Shoot Dog and I found it a little dry in the beginning. But then it got better. So if you're if you're in the middle of it, don't stop. Don't stop. It's a, every book has right. principles. There's yeah. no book that's got the whole thing. Well, there's only in my life, there's only one book that got the whole thing right. Everything else has a principle or two. Right. That would be. And another one is Angela Duckworth's uh, grit. I love her breakdown of how you understand where your passion develops. You start doing things, and over time. I never started out believing I was going to be massively passionate about the law. It took 20 years of, a, of 10 years of a full law practice and 10 years as a mature businessman to really fall in love with the grayness of justice. I, I love that. But she talks greatly at length about developing a craftsmanship. And I think the art of craftsmanship in this speed of, of immediacy of information is it needs to be renewed. And the more people who are B2B people who can embrace craftsmanship are going to enjoy the ride a lot more than the ones who just yeah. immediately want some result. Yeah. Well, you did exactly what everybody does. I say one and then they always give me two or three. Or <laughs> I'm a voracious awesome. reader. So to me, it's about where you're at. And yeah. based on our topic, those would be two good reads for everybody. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So we'll get them on the bookshelf. Um, so if you uh, go to timcroll.com, you'll be able to see the bookshelf there and I'll get those out as far as recommendations. Again, love that. Well, Vinny, thanks again, man. This has been, um, it's really been powerful. It hasn't It hasn't been like a normal conversation, but it. it I, that's what I love about having guests on to have an individual unique take. I, I frankly, I feel like you go cross grain to a lot of what I hear out in the business. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Thank you for standing. I appreciate that so much. And, uh, and I'll, I'll give you the last word. What do you got? <laughs> I just like in today's environment, isolation is a real thing. I think in uh, what's going on, I, I would just, I, I would encourage everyone, a word that's been on my heart lately is being steadfast. And through being steadfast, stay, staying the course, um, endurance and perseverance will kick in along the way. And what you feel now will be way differently later about what right now is and how you feel about it. So I'd, I'd encourage you to stay in the fight. There are so many people ducking out over hmm. possibly issues that really shouldn't be taking people out, but for isolation. Hmm. That is so good. That is so good. So until next time, make it the best week you can work to improve. We love you. And we'll talk soon. I wanted to say thanks again for joining into our conversation. You know, one of the things that I've seen across the board, whether you're a business leader, owner, entrepreneur, or even a leader, is the struggles that we go through and feeling like we're all alone. We've created a class, a workshop type class called Mentormind, where we meet for six months. In that six months, 
you were able to meet and talk with other people that are going through much of the same situation, same scenarios, same challenges, and it gives us a great way to be able to connect, grow, support, and encourage each other. And if you've often felt like there's no one else that you can share with, let me invite you to MentorMind, where you can share some of the challenges, come up with solutions, and be able to live the best life that you have. We'll talk soon, guys.